Would you please turn with me uh, to your study outline that's there in your program? Uh, and as you turn, I'd also like to welcome those of you that are joining us online, uh, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho at the Baptist Community Church, and our friends at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are, there you go. We have some Montanans uh, here uh, on the front, Pastor Mary and Pastor, and Pastor Rick. I'll call you Pastor Rick. You do the benediction, right? You know what I mean? Would you guys stand up? These are our lead, the, Mary is our lead pastor. Mary is our lead pastor at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. Would you stand up? There you go. Now, you know what? I I, I hate to do this. This is killing me to do this. But if any of you, particularly young adults, I always hear you say, we want to leave California and go to the Northwest. Okay, that is the voice of Satan uh, speaking to you. Okay, I want you to know. But if it's the voice of God, there is one exception the voice of God. If you gotta go to the Northwest, and that's just in your bones to, to move to the Northwest, to Idaho or Montana, Kalispell, Montana, to help the Todds at Purpose Church Kalispell is okay. Okay, yeah, that, that, that's a good one. And actually, we've had people that have, I've said that, and they are now up there. There's some families because they just wanted to go to the Northwest. And so you can still have Purpose Church, but be in Kalispell, Montana as well but it's really cold in the winter. I just, I, I just want to tell you. So anyway, it is just a real, I'll, I'll explain um, in, in just a moment uh, why uh, they are here. It's for bittersweet sweet reasons. But we're continuing our fall series on the parables of Jesus. And we're going to call this message Living for the Line and Not for the Dot. Now it's because of Pastor Mary that we are um, uh, calling it that here today because on Monday I was driving into church uh, to uh, write my study outline, and I was talking to her on the phone. It was totally legal. Where's Sean, our police officer over here? Okay, totally legal, hands-free. Uh, there on the, you know, totally legal, uh, talking to Mary as I was driving into church. I was going to do my sermon outline. And uh, she was in town because her mother, Dorothy Elwell, uh, had gone to heaven earlier that day, uh, last Sunday night early uh, on Monday morning. And uh, we were talking about her service. And so today would have been her 90th birthday. And she's a part of Purpose Church 945 service, I believe. 945 service. Here, today would have been her 90th birthday, but instead we're going to have her memorial service uh, tomorrow. And so she's going to have her 90th birthday. She's having it today in heaven rather than uh, here with us. And we were talking about the service, and Mary said that her mom's favorite guiding illustration for her life was one that we use here at Purpose Church on occasion. Once every few years, I will use this illustration of living for the line and not for the dot. And here's how the illustration goes. Um, This life that we're in right now, this blip of time, this moment of time, is like the little blue tip to this rope here. Okay, just that little moment, and frankly, if we're going to do it relative to eternity, it would just be a molecule or an atom on the edge of this is all it would be, a blue-colored atom right here on the end. And so this little blip here, this little blue, this is, this is the dot, just a moment of time. We're here, and then we're gone. And this line here that Michael just stretched out for us, that represents eternity, And so we all have a choice, and that's what the message is going to be about today. We all have a choice of living for the dot or living for the line. And Jesus is going to tell us a story right now 
to challenge us to live not for the dot, which is here today and gone tomorrow, but to live for the line, uh, which is for all of eternity. Uh, Rick Warren said, living in the light of eternity changes our priorities. Living in the light of eternity changes our priorities. So today we're going to look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I want to prepare you. This is not going to be fun. Uh, our Bible, one Bible commentator said, this is the harshest story that Jesus ever told. Uh, this is a hard one. Uh, this, this is not a fun one uh, to preach, but because at Purpose Church, we believe in preaching all the parts of the Bible, not the popular ones, but the unpopular ones, not the easy ones, but the hard sayings of Jesus, uh, not the ones that are easy to accept, just the ones that are easy to accept, but the ones that are hard to accept. I want to tell you that on most Sundays, I jump out of bed on Sunday morning, and I can't wait to get here to preach. This is not one of those Sundays. Uh, most Sundays, if you know me, if you're visiting, I, I love humor. I love humor. There's not a whole lot of humor uh, in this story. This is a hard one. And yet it's because I love you that I'm going to share this story. It's because Jesus loves you that he stole, told this story. You know, somebody told me after the 830 service, there's a prominent atheist. And he once said, he's an atheist, he doesn't believe in it. He says, but if I actually believe that Jesus was the only way of he to heaven, how must I must hate the people around me not to tell them that? He said, I can't imagine, he was an atheist. He said, but if I believed what you believed, oh my goodness, how could you ever hate somebody enough uh, not, not to tell them that particular message so that they could join you in heaven as well. So this is going to be a hard one, and I want to encourage you next Sunday, we end the parable of the series, then we pivot toward Christmas. It's going to be a happy one. I'm going to jump out of bed next Sunday morning and be happy to get here, uh, but this is a hard one. Luke 16, verse 19. Let's break it down verse by verse. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, purple was a dyed cloth that was worn only by the wealthy. It was from a Phoenician dye that was made from shellfish. It was very hard to get. It was very rare. And as a result, only the wealthy wore it. When Jesus was crucified, the Roman guards made fun of him by putting a purple robe on him. Uh, verse 20, it says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with swords. swords. Uh, so now this gate in the original uh, Greek... It carries with the idea, not a gate like you'd have at your home, but a large gate, like a city gate. And so this implies that the man was not just wealthy, he was very wealthy. The gate at his home was similar to a city gate. gate. Now, in the original Greek, it says was laid, but this is not the idea of carefully laid by his friends so that his needs could be met. This carries with the idea that he was dumped there. That people didn't want to deal with him, and so they dumped him at the gate, hoping that somebody else would take care of him. Now, Lazarus, this is the only time in the 36 parables of Jesus that one of the people in the parable is named. And so some Bible scholars say that maybe this was an historical incident, that, that actually this actually was one that happened, not a, a parable of something that might happen. But we believe the reason why Jesus used the name here is because Lazarus in the Greek and the same word in the Hebrew is Eliezer. So Eliezer in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, uh, Lazarus in the Greek in the New Testament, <coughs> they both mean God has helped. And so the whole reason you may have showed up here this morning, the whole reason you might be watching online or listening later on by podcast is just to hear the word 
Lazarus. God has helped. As we're going to see in this story, God has, has helped when nobody else would help. Nobody else would help this man, but God would help him. And maybe you feel that this morning, just like Pastor Jarrett was saying in the worship time, uh, that, that, as, that as we go through life and we're facing some hard stuff, maybe you feel there's nobody out there that will help. Well, I want to encourage you, and maybe the whole reason you're listening to this message is that even when no one else will help, God will help in the same way that he helped this man. Anybody want to say amen to that? Now verse 21, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs came and licked his, his, his sores. Now, uh, bread at that time was used as a napkin. They didn't have napkins back then. And so they, this man was so wealthy, he had all this abundant bread. And they would use bread as napkins. So they'd be eating with their hands the meat. And then when, when they wanted to wipe their hands, they would wipe it on bread and then throw the bread uh, on, on, on the floor. And so what Lazarus was hoping would happen is that somebody would think to maybe gather up these scraps of bread on the floor, put them in a basket, and throw them out by the gate, and maybe he would get to eat what fell from the rich man's table. It says that even the dogs came and licked his, his sores. And uh, in Jewish culture, dogs were not the nice pets that we have. Uh, they were detestable. They were unclean. They were scavengers. Think more like our coyotes than you think of than our dogs. And it says it licked his sores. And, and I actually love it when my dog licks me. Kimberly thinks it's gross, uh, especially if it's a sore. But he came over and these dogs, he couldn't fend them off. And they were licking uh, his, his sores there. Uh, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. He didn't have a funeral like the rich man. He didn't have a burial like the rich man. Um, he would have been stripped, his body would have been stripped and burned with the trash in the city dump. He didn't have any pal prominent pallbearers like the rich man. But here's where his life changed. His dot, uh, living for the dot, would have not have been good for Lazarus. It wouldn't have been tempting for Lazarus. The dot wasn't very pleasant. The time came when the beggar died, but then you have this little word here, and. Now he moves into eternity. The dot of his life has not been fair. The dot of his life has not been easy. Maybe the dot of your life has been filled with challenges and with difficulties and hardships. But remember, for him and for you, the day will come when the page turns and the word and takes place. And everything changes as he enters into the line and not just the dot. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. He didn't have wealthy, prominent pallbearers, but he had angels that carried him to Abraham's side. This is what the Bible calls the messianic banquet in heaven. It's a banquet in heaven to celebrate the Messiah, Jesus. I remember uh, years ago there was a poster that looked just like this where you could see the table go into infinity. And it said, Jesus of Nazareth has invited you to a banquet to be held in his honor. In Revelation chapter 19, it's called the wedding supper of the Lamb, or the wedding reception of the Lamb. You are invited to this wedding reception, and, and the Lamb of God, Jesus, he's the groom. And the church of Jesus Christ, all of us that are Christ followers, uh, we, we are the bride. 
And it says here that the groom, Jesus, and the bride will all have a wedding reception together, the wedding supper or the wedding reception of the Lamb. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 8, verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. Did you know that you're in the Bible? He's thinking Southern California here. I know he is. And I'm, I'm serious when I say that. When he said that, he's thinking of countries from the west, some that his, the people that were listening to him didn't even know about yet. I say that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Just think about it for a minute. I know there's a little bit morbid, but you're, you're driving home, you have a car accident, or you, or you have a heart attack. Okay, that's more likely for me, the car accident. Those of you that are younger, more likely for you, all right? I don't drive fast enough to have any damage happen when I have a car accident. So, but a heart attack, that, that's more likely. But just think of that. In that moment, all of a sudden, you're sitting here in the church, the next thing you know, I mean, you're, in one moment, you're having Taco Bell with your friends. And the next instant, you are at a banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that an unbelievable thing? I think that your mom, Dorothy, is, is instead of having lunch with her family today or having a party with her family today, instead of that, thank you, Tina, uh, instead of that, that in, in, instead of having a lunch and a party with her family on her 90th birthday, instead, she's at the banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I promise you that heaven will not be boring. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago that I worried as a kid, how boring is it going to be, strumming a harp for eternity on a cloud? And I like harp music, but I don't love it for eternity. And I'm afraid of heights, so I didn't want to be on the cloud. And so I just thought, is that? No, it's going to be nothing like that. I promise you it will not be boring. A couple of weeks ago, I compared it to a never-ending episode of Star Trek. And I got more response to that than about anything else I've ever said. You know, people are like, now I want to go to heaven. That sounds awesome. Now, here's somebody who put it in a much classier way than I did. Heaven is the never-ending unlocking of the inner chambers of God. Well, that doesn't sound boring, does it? Heaven is the never-ending uh, unlocking of the, of the chambers of God. Now, I wish that I could end the sermon right here and we could all go home. How many wish that was true? Yeah, yeah there you go. I, I see that hand. Is there another? You catch lunch, beat the Methodists to the brunch place, beat the Presbyterians to lunch. Um, uh, you know, you get out of here early. Maybe you catch even like the first quarter of the football game, first batch of football games. If we, if we could just end right there. And I, and I tell you, I wish I could too. But here at Purpose Church, we're committed to teaching the whole Bible and not just the parts that we like. We're, we're committing to dealing and wrestling with the hard sayings of Jesus, not just the easy sayings of Jesus. Let's continue the story. Verse 22. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades or in hell. Uh, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. I tell you, if there are any two words I could change in this story, it would be those two words, in Hades or in hell. Have you ever thought about that? Which words would you most like to take out of the Bible? I think about that a lot. As a matter of fact, I get teased for this a lot by my pastor friends. Uh, once or twice a year, 
I take part in what's called an ordination council, in which uh, a young pastor comes before a group of us older pastors, and there's maybe seven or eight of us, and this young pastor has written a paper of 10 or 20 pages of everything they believe. And we get the copy of the paper ahead of time, and we study that paper, and we come prepared with questions, and we all line up, and this poor young pastor is up there, and we grill that pastor for several hours on, on what they believe. And it's actually a wonderful process. It's just, it's just, it just is great for, for us, not, not for the, the pastor. And, uh, and the one I get teased for, because all my pastor friends know, Glenn's going to ask this question. He always asks that question. I always ask the question, if you could change anything in the Bible, if you could take out anything in the Bible, what would you take out? And they tease me the rest of the time. For, I'm, I have to put up with it. For the rest of the time, they'll say, well, as somebody who loves the whole Bible, not like Glenn, as somebody who defends the whole Bible, not like Glenn, they tease me, but they know exactly what I'm doing. The reason I'm asking that question is, as I want to ask that young pastor, can you submit to the words of Jesus that you don't like as much as to the ones you like? Are you willing to preach the words of God's word that are unpopular with the same fervor you preach the ones that are popular, and they know exactly what I'm doing, and the, and the candidate knows that as well. Uh, what are the things that are just painful, and yet they are true? You, you, if, if your doctor loves you, your doctor will not tell you the popular parts of your health report, your annual exam. Uh, he or she will tell you the unpopular parts as well. They won't just tell you the parts that are good news, they'll tell you the parts that are bad news as well. Are you committed to telling the whole story and not just the popular parts, but the unpopular parts as well. And so in verse 24, we continue. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Now, notice he's still bossing Lazarus around. He doesn't realize the roles are reversed. Everything's changed. He just doesn't realize it yet. He still thinks that Lazarus is a slave that you can order around. Lazarus is a, is a servant that you can boss around. Lazarus is the poor beggar that can be bossed around by the, the rich man. The roles are reversed. He just doesn't realize it yet. Verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. He uses the word son, which is a term of endearment. Um, it shows the compassionate heart of God even towards those that reject him. God has a compassionate heart. He says son, he says daughter, even to those that, that have uh, rejected him. Now, I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't saying, that all the poor go to heaven and the rich go to hell. As a matter of fact, here's a little trivia question for you, okay? Here's a little trick question. Who's the richest person in the story? Anybody? It's not the rich man. Abraham, yes, Abraham, very good. Abraham's the richest man. The rich man is a millionaire. Abraham was a billionaire. He's the richest man in the story, and yet, and yet he's in heaven along with Lazarus. There are rich and poor in heaven, and there are rich and poor in hell. But I will say this, and Jesus would taught this all the time, here's the problem with being rich, and by the world standards, all of us are rich. 
Okay, by, by the world standards, if we live in America, we're rich. Here's the danger of being rich. Is there are more distractions when you're rich. There are more cell phones when you're rich. There are more televisions. There are more recreational opportunities. There are more trips. There are more computers. There's so many more distractions the more that you have. And the richer you are, the more tempting it is to live for the dot. You see, when you're poor, uh, when you're Lazarus, there's not a whole lot of allure to the dot. There's not a lot of temptation to live for the dot. But the more you have, the richer you are, the more tempting it is to live for the dot uh, instead of to live for the line. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus. He's still bossing Lazarus around. Send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. This is the first time he shows any interest in other people. Now, it's not for the poor, but it's for members of his own family. He, he shows a little bit of interest. And, you know, one minute in hell changes everything. One minute in heaven will change everything. It changes our worldview. It changes your perspective on life. It changes uh, your, your, your priorities, one minute in heaven or hell, is, is going to change everything. Now, you'll notice that Lazarus doesn't say a word through all this. He doesn't complain at the beginning about how hard his life is, and he doesn't gloat over the rich man when the tables are turned. He doesn't express resentment when the rich man continues to boss him around. He just accepts what God sends him. But the rich man here, by what he says, he's also implying that he's been treated unfairly. He's basically saying, you know what, if I'd been giving all the information I needed, I would have made a better decision and I would have lived uh, a different life. Uh, verse 29, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. That means they have the whole Old Testament. Uh, that's the only Bible they had at that time. But when he says Moses and the prophets, he means the whole Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now the Old Testament was their entire Bible back then. And yet um, people didn't follow Jesus, despite all the evidence that he was fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament. And this prediction came true that even when Jesus rose from the dead, not everyone believed, even when Jesus came back from the dead. And the same is true today. There's this huge amount of evidence for the truth of Jesus, and yet people refuse to believe. Let me give you three examples, but for every example I give, I could give you a thousand examples. Atheist and astrophysicist Fred Hoyle, uh, he's the one that formulated the theory of stellar nucleosynthesis, he calculated the odds that all functional proteins necessary for life might form in place by random chance was one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. One chance in 10 with 40,000 zeros after it. He said, quote, my atheism has been greatly shaken. Dr. Nelson Gleck, possibly the greatest archaeologist that ever lived, Jewish archaeologist, 
Uh, he's discovered 1,500, over 1,500 ancient sites in Palestine and Israel. He said, quote, no archaeological discovery has ever been made that contradicts or controverts historical statements in Scripture. There's 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. 27% of the Bible is prophecy. 300 of those 1,800 prophecies were about the first coming of Jesus, so they've already been fulfilled. The chances that just eight of the 300 would happen by accident is one chance in 10 to the 16th power. That is one chance in 10 with 16 zeros after it. The chances that just 48 of those prophecies, those 300 prophecies, could be fulfilled by accident is one chance in 10 to the 157th power, one chance in 10 with 157 zeros after it. Then on top of all that evidence, you add the overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus' point in this is, if people reject the first three examples I just gave, or the 3,000 examples that I could have given, um, uh, that I could have used, they probably won't accept the evidence for the resurrection as well. So let's just kind of wrap things up by looking at this question. If the dead could speak, what would they say? Frederick Dernbach says, for the person who is dying, only eternity counts. Now, I think he was talking about a person that knows that they're dying. But you know, all of us are dying from the moment we're born. We're all dying. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> he said, I'm going to get an encouraging word from Pastor Glenn today. That's why I'm getting myself out of bed. Uh, we're, we're all dying. And so for all of us, eternity should count. Here's what the dead would say to us. Your soul will be resurrected immediately following death. Uh, the man that committed his life to Jesus just before he died, he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you came into your kingdom? And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That man crucified next to Jesus closed his eyes in agony on the cross and woke up at the messianic banquet next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul said, we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The moment if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if your sins are forgiven, the moment you're away from the body, you are at home with the Lord. Uh, Paul was giving testimony before the Roman Empire. And uh, here's what he said in Acts 24, verse 15. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. The dead would tell us your death will be followed by your judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You'll be placed in one of two groups. Um, you'll spend eternity in either heaven or in hell. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Um, once you die, there'll be no second chances to change your destination. No one in hell will ever be able to say that God was not fair. Billy Graham said, be careful not to blame holy God for your own selfish choice, to live any way you please on earth, and then expect him to welcome you into his beautiful heavenly home. Uh, Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, uh, Paul says, if anybody's ever looked out at a starry night so that people are without excuse. 
Or Paul would say, if he were writing it today, if anybody's looked in a telescope into space or a microscope at the human cell, they'll know that there had to have been a God. And we're without excuse. And then the final thing they would say is, it's so wonderful here in heaven, I can't even talk about it. If Dorothy could speak right now, she'd say, it is so wonderful here in heaven, I can't even talk about it. Paul writes, however, as is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, two things um, before we close with a time of worship. Number one, I want to make sure, after a message like this, that everybody here and everybody online and everybody that's listening to me anywhere knows that you're going to heaven. I want you to know that. And so, um, even though you've done it a hundred times, could you turn to that resource card that's right there in front of you? And, um, and, and feel free to take this home if you want to later on. But uh, take that card out. And here are the steps to receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Number one, you admit your condition before God. All have sinned and fall short of his perfect standards. Number two, you believe that Jesus is God's solution to that condition. For the results, the wages of sin is death, but the free Christmas gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number three, you choose to follow Christ as your Savior and Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. Uh, the cross of Jesus is like a bridge between a holy God and an unholy us, but you gotta walk on that bridge. You gotta make a choice. You gotta, you gotta step onto that bridge. You gotta trust onto that bridge, but has crossed over from death to life. There's a little simple prayer. And I'd like to pray this out loud, and I invite you to pray it silently with me as I pray it out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. amen. Now that's the one thing. And if you prayed that prayer, when we're done with worship, our prayer room will be open. There will be people that would love to encourage you, to pray with you, to give you any um, uh, literature or help that would help you in your walk with God. Boy, they'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you if you prayed that prayer uh, here uh, today. But the two things before we close. Number one, make sure that you know you're going to heaven. And number two, take as many people with you there as possible. And that leads us to open up your program to where it says Christmas with Purpose. And, and I love the double meaning of this, okay? Christmas with purpose. First of all, Christmas with purpose. Nobody celebrates Christmas like Purpose Church. You say, oh, Glenn, that's an arrogant statement. Let me prove my point. Okay, there are churches that have 
a few, not very many, you hardly ever hear, but, but there are some churches, a few churches that have a recreation of like Journey to Bethlehem like we're going to have, where you recreate Bethlehem on the day that Jesus was born. There are some churches that do that. There are more churches like we do that have something like Come Celebrate Christmas, a big, big Christmas concert with all kinds of Christmas music. There, there are some churches that do that. There are many churches that will have a, put their emphasis on a series of Christmas Eve services and, and kind of put all their energy into that. There are churches that do each of those three. There are very few churches that are crazy enough to do all three at the same time. Okay, that, that, that would be us. Um, we are going to lay it out there for the next six months. Uh, I want everybody to be as sick as I am by the end of this season, all right? Uh, Chanel, lay it out there. Give it all for the team. We're, we're, we're going to all uh, give it for the team uh, because we, we love Christmas. We love to celebrate Christmas. It's the reason we're going to heaven. Is that a great reason to celebrate Christmas? Forget the gifts. Forget the gifts. You know, we're, for, forget the gifts and the dot. We're going to heaven for the line. But also, Christmas with purpose. Meaning there's a purpose where we can use the Christmas events. If you flip the page to the other side, you can use these events, the best time of the year, to help your friends connect with Jesus. And if you come to come celebrate Christmas, if you come to Christmas Eve, we'll go through the plan of salvation just like I just went through it with all of us just now. I, I promise you. Um, it's a little harder to have the camel do that at Journey to Bethlehem, okay? But we'll still have things. I mean, Journey to Bethlehem is probably the best, what I would call pre-outreach event, where it's very, very just fun, safe environment, but it'll plant a seed that might lead to that decision later on. Or to that decision, there'll be ways for people to decide to follow Christ that night when they, when they come to Journey to Bethlehem. Okay. This has been a heavy message, so I want to end with a little bit of fun. How many are into some fun right now? <laughs> um, oh, I want to end with this quote. I'm so sorry. Rick Warren, I love this. Helping people get into heaven is the greatest act of mercy you can do for them. We believe in being compassionate here at Purpose Church. We believe in clothing those that don't have clothing and feeding the homeless and feeding people that need food, but the greatest, the greatest act of mercy, the greatest act of compassion is helping people get into heaven. And that's why we have Christmas with, with purpose.